This is the Parenting for Faith podcast from the Bible Reading Fellowship. Visit parentingforfaith.org for free online videos and resources and an eight-session course all about Parenting for Faith. You can also sign up for news, subscribe to this podcast, and find out about events and training in your area. Welcome to the Parenting for Faith podcast. My name is Rachel Turner, and I missed last week because I was sick. It was gross. We have this bug that's going around where I live, and it has knocked swathes of people out. And I'm telling you guys, it was gross. It was a week of grossness. And I'm happy to announce that all of my bodily fluids are where my bodily fluids are supposed to be. And I'm in control of all of them. So hooray! Uh, This week... Uh, We are, in this episode, we're dealing with shame. Um, Well, we're not personally dealing with shame. We're figuring out how we can help our kids deal with shame. I'm answering a question about when your kids aren't allowed to see or play with the same stuff as their peers. And uh, my colleague Anna Hawken is reflecting on a Norwegian wedding she attended and her observations uh, about how being at a Norwegian wedding is sort of like helping your kids through church. Hmm, ponder. But first, Halloween is coming up, and over the month, we're going to be speckling in some new content about it, uh, particularly some interesting conversations to have with your kids. But if you are new to this topic or want some more input about it, we are throwing together a special episode that will be released this week that replays our past segments on Halloween, because we did it last year, and there's some good stuff there, but we're not going to say it again. So uh, in this special episode, there will be how to make a decision about what you think about big topics like Halloween, uh, how to match how you do Halloween to your family's personality, a discussion about the movie Coco and how to handle movies that deal with the afterlife slash death slash ghosts. And uh, there's also going to be a mini chapter from my book, Comfort in the Darkness, and why it's important to talk to children about the theology of the dark. So all of that's in this special episode that'll be coming out sometime soon. So if you're like, hmm, I've never really pondered Halloween, this is your chance to go back over the past stuff and we'll have a lot more coming up. Well, not loads more. The whole, all of life is not about Halloween. All of October is not about Halloween, but we're going to have some stuff there in case you want to dip into it. Uh, Also, you can check out on the website if you want to see pictures from my house of how we do Halloween. That's also there. So check that out as it's coming up. But let's get to our first topic for the day, which is shame. I know, such an uplifting uh, topic to talk about. But it struck me about 13 years ago, I was a new children's pastor and a parent called me up and asked me to come talk to her kid because her kid was just a bit off. Uh, I think her, I think she was eight or nine, the child. And uh, uh, I came and her kid was sitting in the corner of a room. And so I sort of went in and sat down and was talking to the kid. And she was saying that she, she showed me a picture of her heart that was like colored in with dark colors. And, uh, and she told me that she had done some things wrong and she had asked Jesus to forgive her. And she knew that Jesus did forgive her, but her heart still felt heavy and covered in heaviness. And she didn't know what that was. Is she really a Christian? And she sort of had this little emotional meltdown. And it was in that moment that I realized that shame, that sense of 
even though you've been forgiven, there's still stuff on your heart. That shame is a reality for children as well as adults. And it's not something we talk about very often. It's something that in children's ministry we deal with and we're aware of, but I thought it was really important to talk about as parents because, you know, we're adults. We we deal with with shame. We deal with that concept and we and we know what it's like. But when you're when you're a kid, shame is is something that often you don't even have a name for. Just for a little caveat, I think there's, you could totally disagree with me, by the way. Uh, I think there's a difference in sort of between conviction, shame, and and shame, shame. So I I see conviction as when we know that we're wrong, that our choices have separated us from God, and we feel that pang of like needing to get right, that feeling where we say, I messed up, I don't want that on me, or between you and me, God, you know, clean me and set me right before you, that, that sort of right conviction of being aware of your sin and coming to God and the Holy Spirit works on us and shows us, you know, that thing. And that's, a gift from God when he exposes our sins so that we can come close to him. But for me, what I'm talking about particularly here is shame when we allow our judgment of ourselves to make us want to hide. Uh, In scripture, we see that when people's sin is exposed, they feel shame, that awareness of wrongdoing and guilt, and that can lead to conviction and repentance. But I think there's also that shame that tries to keep us in that place of pain and separation. It makes us, even after we get forgiven, to want to hide from God because we feel unworthy of his forgiveness sometimes. But sometimes we accept God's forgiveness, but hang on to our judgment of ourselves. We tell ourselves that we're not good, not worthy, we're stupid, we're unable to change, we're embarrassed, and hang on to the shame of what we did. And that can trap us too. And we may have seen it in our children as parents. After conflicts get solved, they may still hold back from affection or joy. We may hear their self-talk of things they say to themselves. I've worked with families who've told me about their children and hearing their children say to themselves, bad Aaron, or stupid, stupid Holly, that sort of self-talk of judging themselves. When we see our children get trapped in shame, it can be hard to know what to do, but there is a lot you can do. As parents, we can help our children through anything. And if we keep an eye on our children and notice when they are feeling ashamed, we can teach them valuable life paths, I guess, of of how to cope with it. From a small, tiny person to parenting young adults, these skills are useful for everybody. Um, I'm going to pull from the six-stage circle that we talk about. I'm only going to use four because I don't have time to do all the six. But it's a natural cycle of behaviors we all use to coach children in learning things. And if you want to know more about the six stage circle, check out the surfing in the waves, surfing the waves episode of our free parenting for faith pod course on uh, parentingforfaith.org. Uh, the first step of the six stage circle is creating windows. Shame is usually something that we hide, obviously, because it's shame. It's <laughs> what makes us want to hide. And so our children re- rarely know that we struggle with it, that it's a thing. They don't know what it is. And creating windows is all about strategically sharing a glimpse of our inner life with our children. Now we have to be careful about this. We're not saying get a close-up look at all the horrible things that go through my head on an average day. We're saying, hey, this is a thing that happens to all people, including me, and this is how me and God are working on it. So when you're talking about your days, every blue moon, 
drop in, you know, one bad thing about my day has been that I've been in a brain battle today. I've been trying to speak well of a person at work, even though they are really mean with their words. But I slipped today and was talking with someone else about how annoying this person is. And God poked my heart. And I I knew, I knew I was wrong. And so God had a, and I had a chat and he cleaned my heart. And so, you know, we're good. But my brain kept saying to me, you should be better. You'll never be good at this. You can't even do it for one day. And it's been a battle today to not let shame climb onto me and make me want to hide because I'm embarrassed. I just want to focus my heart on, you know, thanking God for forgiving me and do better next time because I don't like what gossiping does to my heart and how I see people. But it's been a tough day. You know, you, you know those days. How was your day? And to just share your story. You can, it doesn't have to be that long. It can be a sentence, but to just make our kids aware that sometimes brains do that. And sometimes our hearts do that. Every night isn't confession night, but you know, you never have to mention it again, but find a way to walk along the road or talk about your day when you're watching TV to create a window into how shame works and how God works in your life. The second step of the six-stage circle is framing. Shame is a hard thing to name. It's hard for kids to know it's happening. Um, That child I worked with articulated it by drawing a heart that couldn't get clean. She didn't have the word shame. Our kids need us to say, if we're feeling like we want to hide from God or people after we clean up our mess, then it could be because we're feeling embarrassed or like we're saying to ourselves mean things, and that's called shame. And God tells us with his words in the Bible that that's not how he wants us to live. He worked really hard to free us from that feeling. When he says we're forgiven and when we forgive each other, we mean it. No need to feel embarrassed or heavy in our hearts anymore. Older teens can really struggle with this. Well, you know, all kids can, but they need to know that that they don't need to live with that um, embarrassment or struggle that um, that they're so angry at themselves for not being perfect. It's it's helpful to help pivot their brain to saying it's just being grateful for forgiveness that we don't have to be perfect rather than us beating ourselves up about our mistakes. Um, as parents, we can frame how shame affects people in TV shows and movies and in their friendships and how people in the Bible dealt with it, like Paul, who had this massively sinful past, and the adulterous woman and much more. People had made lots of mistakes in the Bible, and they had to learn how to walk with what they had done, living free and clean in their heart before God. The third step of the six-stage circle is to equip our children to deal with it. When our children are feeling shame, it's hard for them to know how to get out of it. Sometimes we can notice their behavior and suggest they chat with God about it. You know, you can say, you don't have to tell me. I'll always want to hear, but some things start with us and God. You know, feel free to chat with him about anything. If you think they haven't sorted sin out with God, you can always say, I always feel better when I chat with God about it and ask him to take away that heavy feeling. He always does. We can help them by noticing when they're withdrawing and seeking them out. Hey, I noticed that you're still pulling away from us, even though we fixed our hearts with each other. Are you feeling embarrassed or upset with yourself? We can then understand and hear their feelings and help. If they're getting stuck on certain thoughts or phrases, we can help them create truth swaps. Like when they think, I'm so dumb for doing that, you can suggest they swap it out with, that one's a tougher hill to climb, but I'm getting better. You know your children and what they need. You are the experts in your kids. What equipping do they need to handle those thoughts and seasons when you and they notice them? 
I know one family who called it a shame spiral. I ended up picking it up because I so liked how they said it uh, as shorthand. So when their teenager would feel overwhelmed uh, with shame, she would come and say, like, I'm in a shame spiral. And her parents would be like, oh, I totally understand. How can I help pull you out? And they would have a great conversation. The fourth step is to create opportunities. Let your child have opportunities to remind you of the truth. You can create an opportunity by saying, hey, my brain keeps reminding me of a mistake I made and it makes me feel sad in my heart. What are some good truths that need to go in my heart? Or I can't get that one mistake out of my mind. Can you pray for me? Again, this isn't all the time. This isn't making your kids your accountability partner or making them the receiver of all of your emotions. But every once in a while, once in a rare time to just open it up so that our Children can see that aspect of light with God and engage with what it looks like in our life and create opportunities to ask them about theirs. Is there anything that's sitting on your heart that's making you feel like hiding from God or me? You want to talk about it? There's more steps to the six-stage circle, but even if we just start with those four, create windows, frame, equip, create opportunities, we can begin to establish within our family culture that shame is a normal part of life that God came to free us from. There's no rush. Don't feel like you have to do all of this now or even soon. Just be aware that shame is a thing that happens to kids too. And we as parents can help coach them through it. Before this segment ends though, I just want to pray for you because we all sometimes have parent guilt. We call it, you know, we all call it parent guilt. Typical parent guilt. But I I think sometimes it's shame. We're so aware of our mistakes, our faults, our sinfulness. And when we model what we don't want, when we lose our self-control, when we feel we should be better, and it can weigh on us. We end up walking around feeling shame that we're not a fantasy version of us. And I just wanted to pray for us to access God's freedom as much as we want our children to. God, I thank you that you came to free us from shame. God, I thank you that when we sin and when we fall, we can come to you and that you clear our hearts. And God, as parents and as people, we make mistakes all the time. And I pray that you would show us where we're living, holding on to shame, holding on to judgment of ourselves, where we we don't just thank you for your forgiveness and thank you for your love and your grace and move on. We're those places of our heart that still feel heavy. I pray, God, right now you would come sweep into our heart and pour your love and peace and forgiveness and joy back in. I pray that you take our hands off of our things we're clinging on to that are not of you. I pray that you would make our hearts light, that we may walk alongside you as you walk alongside our children. And I pray that you'd open our eyes and our hearts that we may see when our children get trapped in shame, that we may help them find your freedom. In Jesus' name, amen. Today's question was sent in through email. Thank you very much. If you have any questions that you want me to attempt to answer, then uh, feel free to email us or uh, put it on the Facebook page. We'd love to hear from you. This question is, my daughter's friends are allowed to watch and play movies and games that I don't let her use. She's upset with me because I won't let her and she's feeling left out because she doesn't know what other children are talking about or playing in the playground. What do I do? How do I explain it? Um, Thank you for this question. Many parents have uh, experienced that. Uh, And a few caveats before I start my answer. Um, 
We all make different decisions about this. I may use examples, but please don't take them as judgment or confirmation. You are the parent of your kid. You know what's best for them. This answer is only trying to help you help your kid through the discordance between what they have access to and what the friends have access to. What those things are is completely up to you. So I guess my first point is to feel confident in your choices and feel comfortable with others' choices. It gets a lot easier when you let go of trying to figure out what the right answer is for all children and be able to say, for me and my kids, this is a choice we make and whatever choice you make as a different family is totally up to you. Um, One of my close friends has a three-year-old whose favorite movie was Jurassic Park. And another one of my close friends has a 10-year-old who only saw it for the first time last week, and she still fast-forwarded some parts for him. They both were very comfortable with their choices and can easily respect and support each other. So feel confident in your choice. It's okay to say, nope, this is, I'm choosing this not for you, uh, and they can do what they want. So feel confident. Um, Two, explain the why to your children so that they understand the reason. Often we can stumble at this point because we're like, no, I just, I don't like it. And so no. And we can't quite frame it right. So then we begin to doubt our own choices because we think we can't quite say it in the right way. But um, when we frame it for ourselves, when we frame it for our children, then they know what we think. We know what we think. And it can really help them engage with that. So um, it could be if it's if you don't like this particular thing because there's a lot of swearing in it, then you can say, they say lots of swear words and I don't want your brain learning those words and phrases. There are so many great words to express your thoughts and feelings and I don't want your brain to get lazy by only grabbing swear words. Uh, so it, rather than just saying there are swear words or there is sex in it or there is violence, explaining why you don't want them to engage with those things is what helps children understand. If there's a lot of violence, you can say, I don't like us sitting around watching violence as if it doesn't matter. I think people's bodies matter and I don't want our hearts to get used to watching people get hurt and us be entertained by that. Whatever your reason is, come up with your reason and explain it. Um, I don't like how the men treat the women in this movie. Nope. Or there's scary images that will get stuck in your head. Once they're in there, they can't get out. So it's my job to help you protect your thoughts. And so... I'm going to do that. Whatever you think, explain the reasons why. So it's not just, oh, you're being mean, but they understand what's going on. And the third thing I think is to help them problem solve how to deal with the restriction and talk about it. Often kids are struggling with the restriction, not because they, not because they just so desperately want to watch it, but because they're experiencing some tension at school from being the one left out or the one who can't do it or feeling untrusted by you that you don't trust them with it. There's all these reasons behind it. And so if we help them problem solve how to deal with it, then we can help them. So um, you can help them come up with things to say. So often uh, if people are talking about a movie that they haven't seen, kids feel like they have to say, I'm not allowed to watch it, which makes them feel singled out. Or if they're talking about a movie that they don't understand, they just get quiet. Where you can say with them, you know, this is what I do when I haven't seen a movie. Feel free to say, I haven't seen it yet. Tell me the story. And so then you're giving your kid a phrase or a sentence to say rather than the embarrassing thing they end up saying. And so say, oh, just ask them to explain the movie to you because they're really happy to. And you can say, I haven't seen it yet because that's true. 
one day when you're 25, you can feel free to watch that movie and therefore yet is viable. So you can uh, give them a phrase or also particularly kids who play on playgrounds want to know the stories of Black Panther and Aquaman and stuff primarily so that they can engage in the fantasy play out there. Everyone's like, let's play Aquaman. And they're like, I don't know what that is. So when you say, right, I don't want you to watch the movie, but this is the plot of it, then you you can give them enough that they know so that they can still play. So it's asking them, what's the sticky point? What's getting in the way? What's making you uncomfortable? And how can we together problem solve around it so that you don't feel that way without the answer being, I can now have access to everything I want to have access to. So whatever you decide, explain the reasons, help them be confident in how to talk about it, and you feel confident that you are a wise genius of a parent who has chosen correctly for their kid. Welcome to the wild card section. This is a section where we just pretty much talk about whatever we want. And my colleague, Anna, who works for Parenting for Faith, went to a Norwegian wedding and came out with some very interesting thoughts about attending church and how we as parents coach our kids in church and how we, uh, well, I'm not going to spoil it for you. Here's Anna sharing her thoughts on a Norwegian wedding. Hi, it's Anna Hawkin here from the Parenting for Faith team, and I wanted to tell you about a Norwegian wedding that I went to. Now, this was very exciting for me. I've never been to a wedding in Norway before, and so I was very pleased to get the invitation. It was no kids, and the grandparents were available to look after the kids, which is a massive blessing. I know lots of people don't don't have that opportunity. So as you can imagine, I was really looking forward to it. But I was also a bit nervous. I was aware that people would be speaking a language that I didn't understand. Um, I'd never been to Norway before, apart from with my friend, uh, who I knew would be very busy being the bride, so she wouldn't be there to talk me through everything and translate for me. And to be honest, it was the first time in quite a while where I've really been out of my comfort zone. Uh, That language barrier is huge, and I also didn't know what was going to happen. But I had the best time just because of some things that our friends did for us some things that they thought through to make us comfortable in an unfamiliar environment and it got me thinking about what it's like for our children in church sometimes or what it's like for the person sitting next to us who's new to church and hasn't been before or maybe when we invite family and friends along either to a church event or a church service And they agree to come with us and they are excited or at least open uh, to what's going to happen. But it's not familiar for them. And so I wanted to go back to my Norwegian wedding and share some things that um, our friends did for us that really helped us. And then work out what that would look like for someone uh, helping those people who are new to church as well. So whether that's our own kids or, as I say, new people visiting we don't know or our own friends and family. So the first thing they did that really helped me was that they gave me information in advance so I knew what to expect, and they helped me figure out the bits I didn't understand. So they sent us a special invitation that was in English, so we knew what was going on, and as I did a bit of research and worked out how are we going to get there, um, what do these flight times work, can I get a train from there, I was able to go back to my friend and say, "Uh, look, sorry, I don't understand this, please can you help me with the practical arrangements, what does that look like? 
And so what might we need to tell our friends who are coming to church for the first, first time? They probably want to know where they can park, or perhaps we could pick them up if that makes sense. Um, or they might want to know what's going to happen. So what time does it start? What time does it finish, especially if it's getting near lunch times or nap times or might crush into something else? What information can we give people in advance so that they can feel comfortable and confident walking in? The second thing they did that was amazing is that they sorted out people to come alongside us. And that wasn't just one person. I was very conscious that it was exhausting for the people who were translating for us and that they were all missing out too. These were their special friends or family who were getting married. And I was very aware that I didn't want them to have to be doing that all the time. But they found one person who came and uh, picked us up at the station and drove us there. They found somebody to translate for us during the church service itself. And they sat us next next to someone who could translate during the speeches. And those people were really faithful to um, put aside their own experience for a moment and say, here, let me take a moment to help you understand what's going on. They weren't always translating word for word. Um, Sometimes they just reminded us of something we already knew. So in the church service, for example, when she started um, explaining the we are gathered here to get here today and explaining what marriage means, we were able to say, it's OK, we know this bit. <laughs> now that we understand that links to something that we already know, you don't have to translate this word for word. And how could we do that in church? How could we say uh, this is what's going to ha- happen next or here's something that is a little bit like something you already know. Let me just give you that point of reference so you know what's going on. Uh, The third thing they did that was amazing was that they provided for us what we need. And they also let us use technology to help us, which could have seemed a little bit rude. Uh, So the place we were staying, you had to bring your own bedding. And they thought about it in advance and realised that that was not going to fit in a Ryanair luggage allowance. And so, again, completely different person just said, this lady will find you. She's brought sheets for you. Uh, And that was all provided for us. What might people need in church to feel comfortable? Do they need a Bible to be able to join in? It's probably not very much these days, but um, if there's something that you think would help them, can you do that? The other thing that they allowed us to do was to use some technology to help us. So in um, this wedding, there were lots and lots of speeches and songs and performances, uh, both the night before and the wedding itself. And with those songs, they had written down versions of them. And I didn't know this, but on Google Translate, you can actually translate text from a picture. So the other uh, English speaking couple and family who were with us um, held their app over this written version. And we were able to understand some of the jokes and what was going on and join in. And they didn't mind that we had our phones out. That could have seemed a little bit rude. Um, And we also couldn't sing along in Norwegian. We wouldn't have known how to pronounce the words. But uh, so we just sang along in English and that was fine. Uh, They let us they let us have a go. And it didn't matter that we weren't getting it quite right. Um, How could you help your child if they're young? Could you provide a visual timetable? Uh, If they can read, could you provide some words for what's happening? And when I say a visual timetable, it doesn't need to be something beautiful and laminated. Uh, It could just be you drawing three pictures of here's what's going to happen. We're going to do some singing. uh, Then you're going to go to your group and then it's going to be squash and biscuit time. Just that they know which things happen in which order and what's going on. 
And then the final thing I wanted to mention that I really appreciated that they did was that they let us have a go. So as I mentioned, there were lots and lots of speeches and um, at the end of the evening, they offered us the opportunity to say something or do something. And, you know, we didn't have the right language. We had to do it in English. And I'm sure we didn't do it right. We probably broke all sorts of convention and etiquette. But they applauded us. They encouraged us. They smiled. They hugged us. And as a result, we made great friends. It was a really positive experience. And we felt welcomed and included. And sometimes people who are new to church or children who are young and still getting used to it might do some things that are not what we would normally do in church. Maybe they sing really loudly and get some of the words wrong. But can we encourage their desire to worship? Can we help them to join in and feel part of it? Uh, Can we smile and make people feel welcome and included, even if they do some things that aren't quite uh, what everyone else is doing? So that was my Norwegian wedding experience and I hope it gives you a few ideas for ways to include and help people who don't have Christianese or churchese as their first language. And finally, a question to start an interesting conversation. Who with your kid, I mean, you could start the interesting conversation with anybody, but this is primarily to help you talk with your kid and family, something to throw in there. Who in the Bible would be the most fun to hang out with and why? Thank you for downloading the Parenting for Faith podcast. A new episode will be released next week. And why not look at parentingforfaith.org to watch the free eight-session course, to get in touch, or to find out about training and events near you.